I said, uh, third service is the energy one. He's like, dude, how do you do this? I go, because the third service is so special. And uh, give him some energy. God bless you guys. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Yes, I would not call myself a pastor. Um, I, I say a pastor's job is to comfort the disturbed. Uh, I'm an evangelist. My job is to disturb the comfortable. So, buckle up. <laughs> Let's pray, because I need some help. Um, Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for this meeting today. God, I, I pray, I, I fight the temptation to just do what I did the first two services. Because it was great. Because you came and you spoke. Lord, I don't just want to do it because it worked. I want you to speak. So please speak through me. Open every mind, soften every heart, God, so that we can hear and receive what you're doing. I thank you, Lord, that no one's here on accident. And we just commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to start with a verse out of 1 Peter 3. It says this in 14, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. I lived for 25 years maintaining a Christian confession, believing what was in this book, but having no understanding of what it actually meant to be a Christian. I got saved because the gospel that I was presented was that Jesus paid the price for my sin on the cross and I needed to pray the prayer to get my name in the book of life and go to heaven someday and not go to hell. And so that's why I prayed the prayer. I believed what I heard, and I did not want to go to hell. And I believed that Jesus was the one who was going to save me from there. Now, a lot of people that I've met have been saved unto that gospel, which I've called the gospel of transportation. This is the gospel that gets you from hell to heaven. This is the gospel that gives you some death insurance. But the problem is, if you don't understand what you're saved unto, then that middle area between your born-again experience and death where you go to heaven is confusing. Because you read about a God that's loving and that's sovereign and merciful, but you're going through hell on earth sometimes, and you're wondering why, if God is so loving, why is he letting me go through all this stuff? These are questions I have. If God is so loving, why is he letting my friends die? Why is he letting my classmates kill themselves? I'm in, I'm in the army. I'm losing soldiers. Why did God let this happen? Why is God letting that happen? I'm wrestling with all of these things while playing drums at a megachurch for thousands of people and also living totally worldly out on the weekends, out every other night of the week, partying with my friends, sleeping around, addicted to alcohol. I mean, you name it. And a lot of the things I was doing were with people who were also in the church. Isn't that interesting? But it seemed normal to us. I mean, you know, we, we, we ranked our sin. We're like, well, it's, I mean, it's not like we're doing drugs or something. It's not like we're out committing crimes. I mean, we're drinking and we're, you know, whatever. Everybody else is doing it. Like, hey, we all love God. You know, we all believe in this would watch any movie I wanted to watch, would listen to any music I wanted to listen to. But I maintained my Christian confession. You see, I didn't understand what it meant to be saved. I thought being saved was, <clears throat> I made this declaration to God, I'm waiting to go to heaven someday, and so now I just wake up and try not to sin. And life gets pretty hard when you don't understand what it means, because Jesus didn't come to give you a plane ticket to heaven. Jesus came so that you could have access to the Father. Jesus came so that you could know God. Think about it. We didn't lose heaven in the garden. Adam and Eve 
communed, they fellowshiped, they had intimacy with God. On the day that they disobeyed and sinned, it said that God was walking in the cool of the day. He was going to come find his kids. He was going to hang out with them. This is why we're Christians, is to know God. Why? Because he created us. And in him is our destiny, our purpose, our created value, our identity. All of it is in him because Genesis says we were made in his image. The Bible says we were made by God for God. But when you don't get saved understanding that the whole point of this thing is to die to yourself daily, that there's an old man that's being killed and there's a new man that's being created. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. You're a brand new creation. If you are born again, you are literally someone who has never existed before. In Colossians 1.21, it tells us that we were enemies of God. We were alienated. We were cut off. Total outsiders. We were hostile towards God because of the wicked ways of our mind. The world says that people are inherently good. And the Bible says, no, you're evil and you're an enemy of God. Actually. But it says that he loved you so much that even in that place of being an enemy, he sent Jesus to die on a cross. In Colossians 1, it continues to say that he has reconciled us. He has made us right with him through the flesh of Jesus Christ, through death, in order to present you as holy, blameless, and above reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith. Right now, if you are born again in the sight of God, you are holy, blameless, and righteous. That is your identity. And when you understand that, you will walk in that. When you don't understand that, you start to try to figure out what life's all about. And you start to make it all about you. And it's really interesting that Paul finishes that verse by saying, if indeed you continue in the faith. If you continue in your faith, and there's many verses on this. Jesus preached in Matthew 10 and in Matthew 24, he who endures to the end will be saved. We're not talking about a Sunday Christian. We're not talking about a momentary flame a fling for God, but now that season of my life is over, but I still maintain the confession. He said, if you endure to the end, you will be saved. If you continue in your faith, you will be saved. Now, why am I talking about all this? Because there are strategies from hell that have been set against you from birth to try to get you to stop in your faith. There are schemes of the enemy that exist to get you to stop enduring. See, the enemy, the, the Bible is true. No one can pluck you out of the Father's hand if you're born again. No one can snatch you out of God's hand. He's faithful to keep those who he's been given. And Romans 8 tells us, man, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And we've been given spiritual armor from God to wear and to fight with and to wield. We have a sword, we have a shield, we have a helmet, a breastplate, we've got shoes, we've got the belt. I mean, we've got it all. The enemy can't take your armor off, but he can sure get you to lay it down. And the reason that people leave the faith is because of offense. It's because of pride. It's because of selfishness. And my heart cry for you guys this afternoon is that you would endure. I'm not here to hype you up for a good a good message, tickle some ears and get a couple followers. I could give a crap about that. I want you to endure to the end. I want you to get to the end of your life and have confidence. Did you know that you can have confidence on the day of judgment? That's right. Come on. Somebody does. The Bible says that you can have confidence on judgment day. Where does our confidence come from? Abiding in him. It says that if you're worried about Judgment Day, if you've got fear, that has to do with torment. You haven't been perfected in love. You don't understand what love is. I want you to have confidence. I want you to know. I don't want you to think about the second coming of Jesus and being like, oh man, am I, am I right with him? 
You ever been on an airplane and it was really turbulent and you were just like, uh, am I good? You know, like, I don't want that for you. I want you to be like, God, if this is it, like, I am so ready to see you. I think there's more for me to do. I would love to get to continue living. It's just like Paul said, man, I have a desire to depart and be with Jesus, but it's better for me to stay on the earth because I got to teach you guys some things. And it's like, yeah, I got a family and I got all this stuff going on. I'd love to keep teaching the gospel, but Lord, if this is it, like I'm ready. I'm ready to come meet you. That kind of confidence only comes from intimacy. But when sin comes in and it blinds you, when sin comes in and it totally makes you unrecognizable, then you don't pursue intimacy. You flee, just like Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve didn't run into the arms of God and confess and ask for forgiveness and restoration. They fled and they hid and they tried to self-sustain. And when God asked Adam what he did, he blamed it on the woman. It was the woman you gave me. Self-preserve, selfishness was the first sign of sin. And the fastest way for your fire for God to go out for you to be vulnerable and open to the attacks of the enemy is for you to let your guard down, take off your armor. And you might say, well, I'd never do that. That would be dumb. We do it all the time. We take our armor off as soon as we look at self. As soon as my life is about me and I'm focused inward, I'm putting a basket over that light. And I'm not shining for anyone. And the problem is, if that goes unchecked for too long, I start to get bitter. I start to get offended. I start to justify why I am those things. I start to get hardened in my position. I surround myself with people that agree with me. And there's many people that have taken that position that don't even follow God anymore because their prayers didn't get answered. Because life didn't go the way you hoped or thought it would. And I'm here calling us all to die to that. We get hurt because of unmet or uncommunicated expectations. We hear things like the people closest to you can hurt you the most. And we believe that. I want to challenge that this morning. Why? Why can someone closest to you hurt you the most? Maybe because we've given them access to our lives. We've, we've let them in. They've seen things that others haven't seen. We've given them a measure of trust or, or secrecy in areas. Uh, discretion maybe is a better word that others don't get. And so when that gets betrayed, we feel extremely hurt. Which is really interesting because if you think about it, that means that we are dependent on that person to make sure that we don't get hurt. And that's a scary place to be. Because what would happen if all of your best friends betrayed you? How would you be doing? Not very good. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, it wasn't just by one man. Sure, Judas set the whole thing up, but the Bible says that all of his disciples scattered and forsook him. Sure, some of them might have shown up later, but in that moment when the world would say he needed them the most for emotional support and just to bear that burden, they were all gone. Now Jesus, when he reappeared, after he resurrected to the two women, which, by the way, I think it's really cool that he used women to be the first evangelists of the resurrection of Christ. He didn't say, hey, go tell my no good, two-faced, backstabbing, so-called disciples <laughs> that I'm back. Have them wait for me because I have something to say. And don't even get me started about Peter. He didn't say that. 
He said, go tell my brethren. Go tell my brothers. Does that sound like someone who's holding the grudge? That sound like someone who's even remotely thinking about what happened to him a few days before? No. I think in Luke it also says, and Peter, specifically. Because he, he's like, Peter needs some love. Let him know. This is the model for our lives. Jesus is not the exception to the Christian life. He's the example. And so we might hear something like this and we might go, okay, wonderful. Well, how do I walk that out? Like, how do I live that? I'm not Jesus, which I hear all the time. And can I just say, if you say that to someone who's calling you higher, you're justifying your position and you're never going to grow. If someone's speaking truth into your life and calling you to a place of holiness and righteousness and they're like genuinely loving you and you're like, well, look, I'm not Jesus. I mean, that's a bad place to be. You are justifying your current position and there's not going to be any way out for you unless you humble yourself. Because if you said that to me, I'd go, yeah, that's the guy we're following, right? Okay, cool. Just making sure we're on the same page. (laughs) Like we do want to be like him, don't we? The Bible says if any man is in Christ, he ought to walk as he walked. Sounds like we're supposed to walk out the same life that Jesus did. Now, he's not looking down his nose at us from heaven and judging us along the way. He's calling us higher. And that's all I'm here to do. I'm not here to spank anybody. I'm not here to judge anybody. It wouldn't matter if I did. I don't hold any weight in your life. But I want to provoke you, and I want you to be honest and examine yourself. Listen, Proverbs said that scoffers seek wisdom, and they'll never find it. It says that they really, I mean, they seek wisdom. And they'll never find it. Why is that? Because a scoffer is someone who thinks a person or a way of thinking or an idea is stupid or ridiculous. They could seek wisdom honestly with all of their heart, but they already have their mind made up and they will never, ever get it. And so today, as you're listening, I want you to invite God to speak to you. Be vulnerable. Be humble. Ask him to expose any wrong ways of thinking. Ask him to offend you if necessary so that you can grow. Because if you listen to any of this message and your heart's already made up, your mind's already made up, and you're just closed off and I'm just another speaker, you won't receive anything from this. But I promise you that if you're open to it, if you examine yourself, if you're honest with yourself, you can leave here different than you showed up. It's, it does, you don't have to wait. Amen. You don't have to wait for the next conference or the big, you know, revival meeting or something. Uh, Every Sunday, you have the opportunity to be changed forever. And I don't say that because I came here and I wrote down some sick message and it's been vetted and everything. I don't have notes. This is the word of God. And it's been tried and it's been tested and it is faithful. And it works. (laughs) Like there's power. Amen. Amen. So what I'm going to tell you will work if you apply it. Jesus said, whoever hears my word and does it is a wise person. So it's the doing. Okay, so we realize, hey, I don't want, I don't want to live a prideful life. I don't want to live selfish. Let me expose some ways that we live selfishly and pridefully and we don't even realize. Okay? Prayer. We'll pray, and a lot, of, a lot of people that I've met, listen, I've traveled the country. I did counseling during COVID in, in 2020. I did Zoom counseling for like over 100 people. I've heard a lot of different things. But there is a theme. Most people that I talk to, I would ask, what's your prayer life like? And it's something like this. It's like, God, you know, help me to have a good day. And uh, thank, you for, thank you for this day that you made. And I pray that you'd just help me at my job to, to do better. And, you know, my boss doesn't really recognize me. I pray that you'd just touch him and zap him so that he sees, you know, how much I'm really contributing. God, show him that I'm, I'm working hard. And my spouse, you know, God, they've just been really getting on my nerves. And I just pray that you'd make them more loving. 
And, uh, you know, we've been having vehicle issues. God, I just pray that you'd come in and just fix it in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> now, how encouraged are you feeling after that prayer? Because now you're hyper aware of all your issues and you got no answers. You're just hoping that one shows up. Like that person praying that is hoping they show up to work, they get promoted for a job they didn't even deserve. Their spouse just like totally flips 180. They open the, the mailbox. There's a check in there for $50,000. Like their car, someone gifts them a car at church. You know, like you're just hoping that things just fall into line and all your little ducks come into a row. You're actually praying for God to make your life perfect so that you don't have to go through anything. I felt that one. What we're saying is, God, I, I need you to do all this for me so that I can be okay. Say that we do have a spouse that's flying off the handle. Say that I go home from this and my wife is out doing crazy stuff. Say, say she got herself hooked on drugs. Who's the person with the problem? Is it me and how am I going to raise my boy with this? And God, why don't you just tell you, you know, I'm out here, I'm out here traveling, preaching. The least she could do is watch my back and protect my wife from this. And now how am I supposed to do, how we got a ministry to do? And Lord, this isn't what I thought. I thought she was a woman of God. I thought, how could you let this happen? And does that sound like I've got any kind of heart for my wife at all? Or am I thinking about my own life? All of a sudden, I'm going to shed a lot of tears because of my wife and zero for her. And a good father is not going to enable me by answering selfishly motivated prayers. He might do things mercifully because he loves my wife, but he's not going to answer my prideful prayers. And make me think that that's how prayer works and enable me in a place of using him to make my life get better. Am I talking to anyone today? People closest to us are the ones that we should hurt for the most. Why are we letting our hearts break because of people instead of for people? Why do we let sin against us produce sin in us? Justify reasons to be bitter and in unforgiveness and have anger. Shift the blame and, well, if they weren't, then I wouldn't. If they hadn't, then I wouldn't have done that. And the worst part is we'll surround ourselves with people in the church that are well-meaning and love us and just want to help us. And, oh, honey, they shouldn't have. And I can't believe after everything you did that they would. And come here. We just need to pray for God to just intercede and touch him. And we're creating victims. We're building strongholds over people, wrong ways of thinking. We're building them. And we're even justifying why it's there. The worst thing in the world is to have a wrong way of thinking. The next worst thing is to believe that it's supposed to be there. Now, my Bible says that we have every weapon we need to tear down strongholds. That's what I'm here to do today. I believe there's some wrong ways of thinking that have been elevated in our life that are blocking us from having true access to the Father. Not that we don't have access to God. We are blocking ourselves from seeing God because we are seeing him through the lens of self. Imagine if I came home and I saw my wife hooked on drugs and I ran into the prayer closet and I said, Father, that is my wife. My wife is in trouble. God, please come. Use me to show your love. God, set her free. This is not the woman that you created her to be. What's going on in her heart that caused her to do this? Lord, speak to her. Heal her, God. I'm not the man with the problem. I'm the man with an answer. And now I have the ability to hurt four people. But if I wake up in the morning to make sure my wife fills my love tank, I'm in a lot of trouble. Because if she wakes up on the wrong side of the bed or she goes into a spiral for a couple weeks or months or years, then my love tank's not getting filled up and I might justify why I go find a place to get it filled up. I'm being real, guys. Love tanks are demonic. The only person who should be filling any love tank is God. 
But we don't know that because we haven't been preached to that it's about intimacy and transformation. We've been preached to that it's about being healthy and wealthy and blessed and God taking away your stress and Maranatha and one day he's going to come. And that creates a bunch of Christians who do this when pandemics and stuff hits. God, it's just getting bad out here. Just pray you'd come back already and rapture us all. It's getting pretty dark out here. I wish you would do something about it. To heaven with me and to hell with everybody else. It's too tough here. How's that rapture theology working out for love? Is it okay if I'm just honest? Guys, we've missed it. We've missed it. We've missed it. And you don't have a hundred problems in your life. You might have one problem. The Bible says if your eye is fixed on light, your whole body's flooded with light. You don't even have to try. You become what you behold. But if that light within you is darkness, then how great is that darkness? Isn't it amazing that for a season you could be burning for the Lord and then all of a sudden months go by and you look back and you're nothing like what you were. You feel like you might be worse off than when you started and you're going, how did I get here? took your eyes off of Christ. I know I'm speaking to someone. You took your eyes off of Jesus. It became all about you. You begin to self-medicate, self-justify, self-preserve. We've been given the great privilege to shine. If we see any type of opposition or suffering or trials as something we need to escape from, then we're never going to grow. I don't serve a God that gives honor to the fire by putting it out. I serve a God who joins the three men in the fire. He says, what is your fire to us? In fact, we're going to come out, we don't even smell like smoke, and the only thing that got burned was the ropes of bondage that were around us. And this is fun to preach, and it might even be fun to listen to until you're the one who's standing in front of that fire. You see, you can't talk like this for seven years and not go through some life. And when life comes and squeezes you because it's going to, trials are going to come, tests are going to come, fires are going to come. Did you know that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? When those things come and they squeeze you, you're going to find out what you really believe. And for you to endure, there needs to be something in there that when you get squeezed, it looks like Christ when it comes out. You can't get that on a Sunday. You can get a spark on a Sunday. But you have to be responsible for putting the logs on your own fire. To keep that thing burning. This is intimacy. When the disciples asked Jesus, well, how do we pray? That's what they wanted to know. They wanted to know how to pray. Some of us were like, prayer? Yeah, I do when I need it. I mean, no more than five minutes. I don't know how I would pray for longer than that. I'm not judging. I, that's when, I, when I first got born again, I had a, a mentor come in my life, and he's like, yeah, we have prayer meetings. They're one to two hours. And I was like... Oh, Lord, what are you guys praying about for that long? You know, because I'm used to my prayers being these, you know, kind of gripe sessions, hoping that God does something with it. You know, prayers for edification. It's to build yourself up in the Lord so that you don't grow weary. And so that you can constantly be aware of who he is and who you are now that Jesus has come. Do you know that that same person who prayed and it was like, God, touch my car and touch my boss and touch all of this, if they were rooted in the word and understood the access we had to God, like this is why Jesus died. John 17, 3, right before he died, right before he went to the cross, he prayed. And in John 17, 3, he says, eternal life is knowing God and his son, Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Eternal life is not going to heaven. Eternal life is knowing the Father, and I just want to be wherever he's at. I wouldn't want to be in heaven if God wasn't there. 
It's not about heaven. It's about him. He's the one who created me. Heaven is a creation. I want to be with the creator. I want to know the creator. So that same person praying that prayer, they get a revelation of what it means to be a Christian. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Your purpose is to become the righteousness of God. Well, how do I do that? Well, I, I need to dwell on the things that are good and noble and, and just and the things that are holy, the things that are uplifting. All of a sudden, I walk into the prayer closet. Say, say that I'm that guy who prayed that prayer. But now I have a revelation. I'm starting to feel overwhelmed. I'm starting to feel stressed. I'm starting to feel offense rise in my life. You know, when your flesh is just trying to rise up. Sometimes you're just going through life and you're like, oh man, I just feel a little bit edgy. I feel a little bit whatever. Your flesh is just wanting to have a voice. You go, I need to pray. We pray every day. We set aside time for God to pray every day. Listen, my, my son isn't here because my wife and I talk on the way to the grocery store. My son isn't here on the earth because my wife and I, we hung out in a group setting with a bunch of friends and we went to the movies. My wife isn't here because we went to church together, or my, my son. My son is on the earth because there was an intimate moment between my wife and I. And many people walk around wondering why they have never produced anything for God. Reproduction does not come without intimacy. Yes, we're meant to commune with God. Yes, we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's with us always. He never leaves us. I'm always talking to him. People say, oh, you talk to yourself? I say, you don't talk to yourself? If you don't talk to yourself, you're out of your mind. Because God's in me. I'm always talking. But there must be intimate time. Time for him to come and, and, and wreck me. For him to rebuke me. Time where I'm not just yapping. I'm just listening. I'm crying out to my father. But there's times when the flesh wants to rise up and I need to go pray separate from that. And I'm like, you know what? I'm starting to feel that flesh rise up. Let me go pray. I get into the prayer closet, close the door, shut everything out, put the phone out of the room. This is time for God. This is intimate time. Look, when I'm with my wife, I'm not checking my phone. When, when, I'm, when I'm having a face-to-face -face conversation with my wife, I'm not also trying to see what's going on Instagram. She deserves my attention. If my wife deserves my attention, and I understand that, to foster a wonderful uh, relationship with great communication, if I understand that with my wife, surely I can understand that with the father. And so I say, man, I need to pray. So I go, I close the door, and I get in there, and I say, Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus. I thank you that you love me. Lord, I thank you that you're here. You're here right now. You're with me. You'll never forsake me. You'll never leave me. I thank you that David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. You have made me righteous by the blood of your son. Thank you, Lord. Ah, oh, you love me so much. You provide for the birds of the air. Surely you will provide for me. Thank you, Lord. I'm never alone. You said that I will always overcome because you have overcome and you live inside of me. Lord, you see the things that are going on in my life. You see the issues. You, you see the issue I have with my boss. Lord, I thank you. You're going to help me to become more loving, to, to show the love of Jesus at my work. I thank you that I'm not even working unto my boss. I'm working unto you because I do all things for you and you don't miss a single thing. You're not crooked in your thinking, God. You are perfect and just, and you see exactly what I'm going through. And so I thank you that you are my advocate, and I'm going to trust in you in this situation. Lord, I thank you you see my finances. I don't know how this is all going to work out. Help me, Lord, in any areas of unbelief, but I just release control. I release fear, and I say that I trust in you. You've never left me, and I know you will not do it this time. You're going to provide for me. Guys, do you see how... Praying like this is life-giving. Did you know you can pray this way? So many people I've met have no idea. They don't even think to pray this way because we haven't been taught. And the Bible says that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. So we get the knowledge, we stop all the destruction. You never have to be overcome again by this offense, by worry, by fear, by anxiety. 
Listen, you can overcome every scheme of the enemy, every trial that the enemy brings. I can teach you right now how to win every spiritual battle. That's, that's not some catchphrase and, I, you know, it's something I, no, it's, this is for real. I'm a former military guy. I like to look at tactics. I like to look at motives. I like to understand why people are doing what so I can win. If you want to know how to win against the enemy every single time, then you need to know what he's doing and why he's doing it. I didn't talk about this in the first two services, but I just feel like there is, an, there is a need for equipping in this service. Because we are being taken out by issues. Offense, I feel like, is just a small piece of that. I will tell you what the enemy's plans are, and you can win every spiritual battle, but you're going to have to live by the Spirit. You can't live by your flesh, or you'll be crushed. Why does the devil do anything he does? Look at the story of Job. Why did he go after Job? Did he want to touch his body? Did he want to kill his whole family? Did he want to take all of his livestock? Did he want to just completely ruin him? That wasn't why he did it. He told God the motive from the beginning. He said, God, nobody loves you. They only love what you do for them. Watch what happens when Job loses everything. He'll curse you to your face. The enemy is convinced that no one really loves God. And that there is a breaking point for everyone in here. Well, you can only take so much. That's not what my Bible says. My Bible says that no temptation has overtaken you except what's common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with that temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. 1 Corinthians 10.13 It means that every time you're tempted, it's not too much for you to handle. And by leaning on Christ, you will overcome. Every time. You will always overcome. Come on. You will always overcome. Always. What are the chances of you overcoming? 100%. If you live by the Spirit. You have to see the enemy for what he's doing. You have to understand why he's doing it. He knows. Why did the enemy touch all those areas in Job's life? Because he knows at large, if I touch a Christian... They're going to get grayed out. They're going to freak out. They might ask a couple friends for prayer, and they might need to go sleep it off. And if I keep doing it, they're going to really wonder, where's God? Why is he letting this happen? Does he even hear me? Is he even real? I know people that have walked away because of that. The progression of trials and a lack of revelation led to them falling away. People that served the Lord with me in church now don't even profess him. Sensual living will do that. Living by what you see and hear, and I just feel, and I just think, and I just... It's not truth. If you want to overcome and win every spiritual battle, every one, every single one, I don't care what it is, whether it's a financial thing or cancer or anything, if you want to win, let me tell you what it is. The Christian victory is not making it to 100 years old and you've got money in the bank for your kids and they're all going to great schools and they're all preachers or they're all whatever and you're just, you, you got a legacy. and you, That is not the Christian victory. That's awesome and I pray that for everyone. I hope that for myself. I want to live a long life and just get to preach the gospel and watch my kids and grandkids and great-grandkids grow up and love the Lord. I would love all of that. That's not the Christian victory. The Christian victory is you make it to the end of your life and you still trust in God. That's not sexy. Amen. That's not a very attractive thing to say. Like that usually doesn't get a lot of claps. Because it's, it's hard. The Christian victory is you just make it to the end and you still are holding fast to your belief. That's it. Now, this really simplifies things when the enemy starts to touch your life. Because you know from the get-go what he's after. It doesn't matter if you got a bad diagnosis. One, I believe in a God who heals the sick. 
But even if he doesn't, even if we don't see a healing, how many of you know you can get healed in your body and you can leave with a bad mindset and a week or two later you're going to need another prayer because you're just a mess up here? I've seen people delivered from demons. I don't know what your guys' theology is. Uh, I just left a conference of like 5,000 people. We're casting demons out of so many people. How many of you know you can cast a demon out of someone, but they don't have a revelation? And the Bible even says that if that house is not filled, they're going to come back seven times over. Worse. It's not just about healing. It's not about deliverance. It's not about your life getting made perfect. Why do celebrities and movie stars and athletes kill themselves? They have everything. It's not about having your ducks in a row. It's about faith. And so now when the enemy comes and he touches your life, this is how you win. I promise you, this is all you got to do. Lord, I thank you. I, I, this thing's coming against me, and I don't know how I'm going to overcome it, but I will never stop trusting in you. That's it. That's how you win. That's how you win. You hold fast to this truth that you maintain from this word. And you can be honest with God. Lord, I don't see how this is going to work. But I choose to trust in you. Hebrews 11, it tells us that faith is actually the absence of sensual evidence. It's believing in something you can't sense. You can't see. You can't feel. You can't touch. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things not seen. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's something that you're hoping for, but you've never seen. That's faith. So if you want to win, it doesn't matter what comes against you. You just say, okay, God, here we go again. Because the enemy is sure. Oh, man, I didn't get him that time, but I'm going to touch him here. I'm going to squeeze him here, and I know they're going to spiral. The enemy wasn't after Job's money. He was after this. Because when the enemy touches you, he knows for most Christians, this thing starts spinning. Why'd God this and why'd God that? Well, he allowed it, brother. Well, why did he? We're asking the wrong questions when we have one answer. I don't know why this is happening, but I do know that God's good and I'm putting my faith in him. And I don't even care what happens in my life. That's freedom. You want to be free? You need to die. I say, I don't care if I lose my whole family in regards to my faith, hear me, I, I love my family. Like, I don't want that to happen. <laughs> but if you're even afraid to say it, I don't want to say it. I don't want to claim it, brother. You're not, you're not claiming it. But if there's something you can't even say, that thing has a grip on your life. Say, I don't care what comes my way. I don't care if I lose everything. If, if some freak accident happens, the bank shut down, I lose my house, I'm homeless. My, whatever happens, I am never going to stop trusting in God. That is how I win. That's the Christian victory. Because I know that I'm going to stand before him one day. Oh, I'm going to stand there. He's going to be on the throne. And I'm going to say, God... I trusted in you. The temperature did not just change in the room. That is God. Some of you are like, turn the AC on or something. That's the spirit of God. You're going to stand before him and he's going to say, I saw every opportunity you had to cave, to fold. I know it was hard. But you stood in faith. You kept your eyes on me. You kept trusting in me. Well done. Guys, you think it's going to be worth it? And the Bible says that if you keep your eye on that moment, on Jesus' coming and our standing before him, if you keep your eye fixed on that moment, you will purify yourself. You will purify yourself because you're thinking about his coming and you're like, I want to get myself ready. Like a bride preparing herself for a wedding. You won't have time to be walking around in a fence because you'll remember what the Bible says. It says that if someone doesn't love, it means they don't know God like they could. The Bible says if you don't love God, if you don't, if, okay, if you don't 
love, you don't know God. That's a strong statement. But it is that truth that allowed Jesus to hang on a cross and say, forgive them to the people that mocked him. Why? Because his heart is breaking for them instead of because of them. Because now I'm walking around in a twisted and perverse generation. Are we not living in one? But instead of complaining about how dark it is, all of a sudden my heart is different because I see a world that doesn't know God. And it's evidenced by the fact that they're unloving, to say the least. If someone doesn't love God, where are they going when they die? Why does that not destroy us inside? We're talking about people's eternities. Do you see how just one mindset can change everything? All of a sudden, I have a heart for these people that are doing evil. Do you think the guys that killed Jesus thought they knew what they were doing? You think they had a plan? I guarantee you one of them was responsible for the nails and the hammer. They had the route planned out. They had the place that he was going to be crucified. It was an operation. You think they knew what they were doing? And Jesus said what? Forgive them. They don't know. People in this world think they know what they're doing and they have no idea. And that should break our hearts because they're deceived. We're Christians who love God. We should not be the ones walking around offended. We have the light of the world inside of us. Don't you dare put a basket over your head when you could be shining for everyone. Come on. Is this speaking to anyone? The only way you're going to maintain that fire is in the secret place. My wife and I's relationship is not the way it is after six years because we have good conversations while we're at the grocery store. Because we have little date nights. There is a time when none of you guys are there, when it's just me and her and we close the door and it's just us. Every day. Just us. Just looking at each other in the face. Just talking. Just loving on each other, playing Yahtzee, watching a show up in our room. Like no one else is there. We're not on our phones. It's just me and her. Why? Because we value that time together. And we know that if we don't get that time, our relationship is going to suffer. But why is it with God we think it's cool if we just check in on Sundays and I'll say a couple prayers throughout the day and I'm good? Come on, guys, there's more. If you really want to burn for the Lord, then you will put time aside for him. Let me finish with this. And if the band is here, you guys could come up. I don't know if I can call an audible, but I kind of just want someone to play keys or something. I don't, I don't feel like we're supposed to go back into a song. Yeah, I just, I feel the Holy Spirit. We went into a song the first two. Can we just have like keys or something? Someone play keys? Um, let me ask you guys this question. If God came to you, if Jesus showed up in the flesh and said, hey, and listen, I'm not making this a doctrine like you got to do it from this time to this time. I'm using my example. I like to wake up early in the morning and I sit with the Lord for, from like five to six because I know in the middle of the day I'm too busy. And if I say, well, I'll give God some time later, I'm too tired. And, and, and the whole day's spent and I've got a son, I've got a life, I've got a wife. I don't want to give God my leftovers. And I usually end up not having great time with him. I know for me, I've got to get with him in the morning. And I look at the life of Jesus. He woke up often well before sunrise to go be with God. So I'm going to use that example. Say that Jesus appeared to you in the flesh and he said, hey, I'm going to be in your closet every morning at 5 a.m. I'm going to be there. So if you want to come, you totally can. Would you guys be there? Would you ever snooze or sleep in? Honestly, be honest with yourself. If Jesus Christ in the flesh was like, I am going to be in your closet every day, five to six, would you miss a single session? Many of you, you'd be lining up out the door early, like hoping you could get in, get some more time in. So let me ask you this. This isn't a judgmental thing. This isn't spanking anybody. This is a, I've been provoked by this. Either we don't believe that God is in the secret place 
or we simply value what we choose to do more than sitting with him. Because I'm here to tell you that God is in the secret place. One of the only places in the Bible where it's said that God is, is in the secret place. Jesus said, the Father's in there. You want to meet the Father? Go in the secret place. Close your door. If you want to overcome in this world and you want to win every spiritual battle, it's not going to be enough just to try to remember this sermon when life comes. You need to facilitate that relationship. You need to foster intimacy with God. And it's in the secret place. Yes, commune with him through the day. Yes, talk to him in the car and at work and everywhere. He's always with you. But there must be time where it's just you and him. He's in there. And if you truly believe he's in there, then you won't sleep in. You won't schedule something over there. I'm telling you, not even my wife has the power to get into that time. Why? Because I need him more than her. And if I don't get him, I'm no good to her. And it's because of him that I can get filled every morning and I can leave my prayer closet with something to give instead of something to need from her. Why have we never fought in almost seven years? Because I have zero expectations on my wife. And I married the right girl. She does the same thing. She has none on me. Zero expectations on her. If she flies off the handle, my heart is breaking for my own wife. But praise God, I don't believe that's going to happen because I married the right girl. She really loves God. But if I wake up and I've got expectations on her and she doesn't meet them, then I'm in a whole lot of trouble and I got a good reason to be upset. It all goes back to the secret place. You want to get free from offense? You want to get free from anxiety? You want to get free from that addiction that you've got? You want to get free from secret sin? You've either got a secret prayer life or a secret sin. That's just from my experience. Everybody's got a secret. And the Bible says what you do in secret is going to get exposed out in the open. If you're praying in secret, man, that's going to reveal itself. If you've got secret sin, it is definitely eating you up inside and it's going to manifest in some way. Give that to God. Get rid of that. That does not compare to sitting with your father. He's going to speak to you. He's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. He's going to encourage you because he loves you. This is what Jesus paid for so that each one of you could be transformed into the very image of his son. So that each one of you could become the righteousness of God. This is about way more than going to heaven. This is about being transformed. And listen, if you're in here today, and that fire that you once had is growing dim, that heart is beginning to grow cold, That love is beginning to fade because life has hardened you. People have hurt you. And you're in danger. And you know the condition of your own heart and your soul and you're like, I'm in trouble. I I desperately need God. You're exactly what I'm talking about and I need God to come in and just do a renovation. I'm gonna ask you to stand right now. I'm gonna ask you to stand up humbly and boldly. Come on, look at this. Guys, I want you to look around the room. You are not alone. Look around the room. Seriously, it's okay. Look at all of these people. We're all doing life together. This is the most that have stood in any of the three services. And I don't think it's because y'all are the most jacked up. (laughs) I feel a tenderness in this room of people who are like, I am done. I am so done with living the way that I've been living. I knew there was more. And I want it. This is so awesome. Look, we're just going to pray together. This is beautiful. I want you to just talk loud enough that you can hear your own voice. And I want you to talk to God. Don't just repeat what I'm saying, but let's let's pray this together. We're just going to confess to the Lord. We're going to repent. And we're going to walk in truth. Just say this. Say, God... Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you're a perfect father. And you won't live, let me live however I want. 
Thank you for bringing me back to truth. I'm sorry that I've made life about me. And I'm ready to make it all about you. Thank you for opening my eyes. Thank you for softening my heart. Holy Spirit, come and fill me. Give me a revelation of being a child. I love you. And I know I will always overcome with you. In Jesus' name. Let me pray over you guys. Father, I thank you for every person here. Lord, I thank you that you are a perfect father. You correct your kids. You bring a rebuke. You bring guidance. Lord, you won't let us do whatever we want. You won't let us just harden our own hearts and you don't have anything to say about it. I thank you that you intervene, that you bring life, God. I thank you that there are fires being ignited even now by your spirit. There are hearts that have been hardened that are being softened right now in the name of Jesus. Father, I break off every bit of bondage, every heavy yoke over these people in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I bless these friends in Jesus' name. Jesus name. Guys, I I have never done this from the pulpit actually. I do it online all the time. But is there anybody here that has a brain issue? Something wrong in your in your brain. You've got something uh, like a sickness or something like that. Anybody here with a neurological issue? Right there? Can we just pray for you? Will you come up here? Is that okay? I was praying and I just heard brain issue and I so I want to pray. Can we ha- can I just have someone else from the team come up here and just will you come up and just lay hands with me what's your name Kathleen okay what do you got going on a tumor okay can I share a testimony real quick I know we might be like two minutes over I was preaching on TikTok I used to preach well I preach now every Monday night I preach three times a week but I was preaching and I had 30 people watching and I had a word that someone had a brain issue there was one woman, she had an aneurysm and it had a daughter aneurysm growing on it. And it was like stage seven or something. I don't know. It was huge. It was supposed to rupture. And we prayed and she went in and got an uh, MRI two weeks later and it was completely gone. Both of them completely healed. Like we serve an amazing God and he's not offended that we're on TikTok preaching. He's actually stoked about it. So all that to say, I've seen God do it before and he spoke to me and I remembered that and I just believe he's going to do it again. So just reach your hands towards this woman. We're going to pray. Father, we thank you for this woman in the name of Jesus. God, thank you that you love her and that your word says that by your stripes we were healed. Right now in the name of Jesus, I command this brain issue to be healed in Jesus' name. Every cyst, every tumor, every growth, I command you to leave now in Jesus' name. These uh, headaches, do you get headaches because of that? Chronic headaches, I curse you in Jesus' name and I command you to go. Father, I thank you that by your spirit you would come and burn out every infirmity in this woman's body for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks. Praise the Lord. Thank you, God. Hey, good thing I'm not alive to make sure I look good, because if that word had been wrong, then I might have looked silly in front of all of you. And if I had been too scared to give it, then she might have never got prayer. Isn't it fun to be free? Come on. We're going to be people who give it away. We're going to give it away. We're going to keep giving it away. This is how revival happens. A room of people like this who are not thinking for self, they're thinking for others, and they're on fire. Listen, if I lit you on fire right now, would you be concerned with anyone's opinion? No. You'd be like, get this thing out. Guess what? You are a walking 
consuming fire. Do not let the opinions of man put you out. Amen? Come on, we're going to leave from here and we're going to burn. I believe that we are going to see a shift in your own heart and then in your family and then in your neighborhood and it's going to grow. Amen? God bless you guys. Thank you so much.